Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to Farm Food Facts for December 18, 2019. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. Remember to watch the new short film from USFRA, 30 Harvest, to see just how farmers provide a source of healthy food while addressing environmental concern for current and future generations. Go to usfarmersandranchers.org to view this impactful and heartfelt film. Today, we're talking with Neil Carter, the founder and president of OK Specialty Fruits. You may also know him as the innovator behind the non-browning Arctic apple. Neil, welcome to Farm Food Facts. Well, thank you for having me. So, Neil, your background is a bioresource engineer. Talk to me about what that background does for you as, uh, frankly, an apple grower. Yeah, well, so bioresource engineer is really kind of a glorified term for an agricultural engineer. So, you know, what that's meant is I've been more than just an apple grower over my career. I really started doing a whole range of things like single cell fermentation and uh, I ran a fertilizer plant. And then I got into international agriculture development, really spent a lot, a lot of my career working overseas on development projects in agriculture, a whole range of things. And uh, kind of from that you know, the, the farming and the apple orchards has always been in my background. It's kind of a family background as well as something my wife and I did when we were first married. And we always wanted to get back to it. And so we found a way to do both starting in the mid-90s. So what you did was, you know, earth shattering, if you would, for, for the apple industry and developed a non-browning apple. Talk to us a little bit about that technology and why it's so important. As apple growers, we identified that you know, one of our biggest challenges was bruising, and whether it was uh, for the picker bruising the apple or the bin or the bag or the packing line or ultimately the retail store. So we, we basically identified technology that's you know using biotechnology and genetic engineering to turn off the enzyme that drives the browning reaction. And this was really in the early, no, I'd say early to mid 90s. So it was the early stage of Egg biotech. And in my career overseas and doing egg engineering work, I've been following, you know, egg biotechnology and the companies doing this. And, and all of my work had always been in sort of new technology introduction. So I was pretty fascinated by, by biotech and what it offered. And ultimately, you know, we were able to kind of marry the technology and technology introduction for ourselves in our own business as one of the many technologies that I think agriculture is going to need in the future. So, you know, what it does is essentially allows, gives us an apple that we can cut and bruise and bite and, and um, value-added process and which without having to use a lot of the antioxidant chemicals that are used in competing products. So let's talk about the future. How do you think technology can address sustainability that goes beyond, you know, the individual products, but really looks at agriculture as a whole? Yeah. You know, I guess I've always believed in every tool in the toolbox. And in agriculture today, you know, sustainability is probably as big a challenge as we'll ever face as, you know, you lose land to salinization and droughts and, you know, uh, all sorts of climate change uh, changes, things that are happening. So technology is going to prove to be extremely important and, and all types of technology, whether that's, you know, agricultural uh, biotechnology, um, DNA editing and, and molecular tools like that, or if it's more in a traditional fashion of, of better ways of, of farming, uh, you know, improvements to the farming system, 
better data that allows people to farm smarter, a whole host of things. And, you know, what that means from a sustainability point of view is it's securing our food supply, but also doing it better with less environmental impact and, and uh, you know, managing to keeping it affordable so that, you know, our global population as it hits uh, nine plus million, billion and climbing, you know, continue to have the food it needs to survive and, and thrive. So if you had to isolate one technology, including, you know, biotechnology and, and farming, what do you think is the most promising on the horizon? That's a really tough question. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they're all, they're all, I, I, I actually do believe that biotech or what will be the outcomes of, let's call it modern molecular biology, is going to be the biggest tool that will be in our, in our toolbox to address sustainability. And I say that because, you know, they, I just look at what's happened over the last 20 years that we've been active in the field and next generation sequencing and our understanding that the, gene, the plant genome and the things we're going to be able to do to, to make crops more drought tolerant, make crops, you know, fixing nit- nitrogen, um, saline to- salinity tolerance, a whole host of tools that I just don't see how we're going to do it otherwise. Um, you know, all the sort of, um, Sensor technology and precision ag technology will be important, but it's really going to be, it's going to be secondary to to genetics. Uh, I read just recently how, you know, plant genetics is going to be the critical element of the, of the next decade. And I truly believe that's the case. You know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners also are supermarket operators. Mm-hmm. What what would you like supermarket operators to understand about agriculture today and in the future? It's a good question because, you know, grocery stores and particularly the produce section, they're fantastic places. You know, they're big, they're beautiful, they're well laid out, they're well organized. And yet, and yet um, the consumer is so disconnected from where it all comes from. And... Um, you know, they don't need to know where it comes from. It comes from the grocery store. And so, I, I, you know, and I, and I know that uh, grocery retailers make a big effort to try to make that connection, you know, by, you know, bring sponsored events and, and have farmers and growers in their retail chains and things like that periodically. But I think that that's, that's where the grocery retailer has a challenge. And I'd really like to see them rise to that challenge to, to be able to continue to educate the the consumer as to why their food's important. You know, we see a tremendous number of food fads in today's world, and you know, I don't want to judge people, and and everybody's you know choice is what it's all about. But I think that uh, what we really want people to understand is the effort that goes into the food they eat. You know, what the true facts are around health, nutrition, and and you know, for people to make healthy choices. And one of the things retail stores have done is uh, many have engaged uh, retail dietitians to advise them to work in their stores. And I think that's a huge step. I think that's great because that's the connection between the consumer and what you should be eating and how the store can position their products in a way that people will understand what the healthy eating choices are. And, uh, you know, so I think that's about as much as I can see on that as you exhausted my knowledge on it. Okay. Well, Neil, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing us the Arctic apple, uh, non-browning apple, and joining us today on Farm Food Facts. Well, thank you. And now for the news you need to know. 
2019's field days are reflective of the difficult growing season. This year's wet growing season caused challenges for many farms, including Iowa State University's research and demonstration farms. And because they faced various soggy season issues, most of the 13 research farms decided to include weather-related topics for their field days. These topics include delayed and prevented planting, weed and nutrient management and cover crops, and harvest considerations. Several of the research firms experienced delayed planting, but by the end of summer, the state of Iowa received an extensive dry period, which was then followed by another wave of heavy rain. As a result, when the fall season arrived, the field days were focusing on how to deal with crops in differing stages of maturity from one field to another. Because the farms are spread across the state, they give producers in each region a realistic look at how an idea might work on their own farm. Over 100 Iowa State faculty members use these farms for teaching, research, and extension. The research farms also attracted several hundred high school students during their youth-oriented field days, and these students were exposed to the science and technology of agriculture. Field days are important, as they provide a way to reach out to non-traditional audiences, including our youth, so the farms can provide maximum learning opportunities for the public. And in other news related to this year's wet weather and harvest challenges, farmers consider their seed choices after a tough growing season. Late harvests are likely to cause delayed decisions on seed purchases for some farmers. However, retailers are not experiencing reduced sales. Rather, they're just seeing some hesitancy in making final variety decisions. We're not really seeing any delays, said Cliff Chouette of Chouette Seeds in Illinois. We are seeing more guys use conventional corn. Seed retailers also acknowledge that the tight farm economy, which is characterized by sluggish grain prices and export uncertainties, may give some farmers pause when considering more costly hybrids and varieties. Scott Nelson, who markets seed for Bex hybrids in southwest Iowa, says whenever commodity prices are reduced, there's a lot more scrutiny to where every penny goes. It puts a lot of pressure on prices. It also affects crop rotation to some extent. Guys are less willing to spend more money for the newest hybrid. Some people are after the old genetics with less traits to save every penny that they can. Many retailers also acknowledge that the challenge growing season in the Corn Belt this year, including a wet spring and late planting, helped growers appreciate the improvement in corn hybrids and soybean cultivars over the past few decades. And as we begin to transition from 2019 into 2020, what can we anticipate for agriculture in the new year? Retailers expect certain produce categories to spike in January. Traditionally, New Year's resolutions often include commitments to healthier eating habits. So the folks at Produce Retailer surveyed 10 produce retail pros, asking which vegetables and fruits they expect will take a leap in the first weeks of 2020. Vic Savinello, a regional vice president for produce with Spartan Nash, said you should see an increase across the fresh department, but standouts are obviously salads with an emphasis on organic salads. Items like cucumbers, tomatoes, and carrots will all see a spike as store guests look to create new habits and start eating healthier. Data from Nielsen indicates the same thing. In the first week of January this year, prepackaged salad sales grew nearly 20%. That equates to $93 million for one week. And the following week, sales jumped another 10% to $103 million for the week. Retailers also expect January shopping carts to be filled with items that can be used for juicing, 
Jeff Caddy, director of produce for Tops Friendly Markets, notes that plant-based items continue to grow in popularity year after year. And Michael Shutt, a produce merchant for Rayleigh, states, although some New Year's resolutions don't make it to see February, the one single category that continues to thrive beyond then is value-added bag salads. Merchandisers agree that early weeks of January are the perfect time to introduce shoppers to less familiar items, in particular in the bulk greens category. Thanks for listening to today's podcast episode. For more information on all things food and agriculture, please visit us at usfarmersandranchers.org. Also, be sure to look for us on Facebook at USFarmersAndRanchers or on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.